Our second reading for today comes to us from the first chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, verses 1 through 11. Theophilies, the first scroll I wrote concerned everything Jesus did and taught from the beginning, right up to the day when he was taken up into heaven. Before he was taken up, working in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus instructed the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed them that he was alive with many convincing proofs. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, speaking to them about God's kingdom. While they were eating together, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. He said, this is what you've heard from me. John baptized with water, but in only a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. As a result, those who gathered together asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Jesus replied, it isn't for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. Rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. After Jesus said these things, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going away and as they were staring toward him, suddenly two men in white robes stood next to him. They said, Galileans, why are you standing here looking toward heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we've come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our Rock, our Redeemer. Amen. Friends, this week has been a week of holidays. Today is Mother's Day. Yesterday, as I shared with the children, was Derby Day in Kentucky. And if you've ever been in Louisville, or if you've never been in Louisville during the Derby, you don't realize what a big idea and big event it is. Friday was Oaks Day in Derby, which is a smaller race, but they still let the children out of school for it. I mean, in Kentucky, they let children out so they could learn to drink bourbon, gamble, and bet on horses. And then Thursday was Ascension Day. And Ascension Day is the day when it's 40 days past Easter and we celebrate Christ rising up into the heavens. And every year when this comes around, pastors struggle. Do I stick with the lectionary? Do I talk about Ascension Day? And it's like, ah, how much do I like the lectionary text? And the Ascension is kind of problematic. A few weeks ago, I was in Little Rock, Arkansas. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be in Atlanta, Georgia for a conference. And both places, I flew on an airplane. And this is something that most of us, if not all of us, have done. We have all been on an airplane. 
And this might seem commonplace to us, but to the disciples and the heroes of the first century, the idea of being up that high in the sky was completely mind-boggling. So it's easy to see the mystery of Jesus Christ lifting up into the air. But we've been there. We've been up in the air. We see that heaven isn't somewhere above us. We've sent people into space. We've sent people to the moon. And they have not seen heaven. They have not seen the heavenly kingdom. So we know it's not above us. So that leaves us wondering, what exactly was the ascension? Did Jesus take off like Superman? Did he kind of float away like a helium balloon? Did he dematerialize like on Star Trek when they're beamed up? And this is something that that pastors wrestle with. But I think it's not our job to explain the mystery and the wonder of that is, but to talk about what it means to us instead. We don't have to fully understand what actually happened at the ascension to realize that's a meaningful and a powerful experience. If we think about the disciples, they have been on a roller coaster of the past few weeks. They traveled with Jesus to Jerusalem where they were sure that he would make Israel the kingdom again and he would take over the rule from the Romans. But instead he was betrayed and killed and they were left without their leader, without their teacher. And they were lost. But three days later he rose from the dead and he was back and he was divine and there was no doubt now that he was the Messiah. They could see the wounds in his hands and in his side. And he appeared to them and taught with them and taught them about the kingdom of heaven for the next 40 days. But now he's taken from them again. Now before their very eyes, he's lifted up. We had two readings today describing the ascension. The last passage from the Gospel of Luke and the first passage from the book of Acts, which is also written by Luke. And it's interesting that Luke ends one book and begins another with the same passage. Some commentaries suggested that by beginning Acts with the Ascension as well, it's kind of doing a previously on ER and saying what has happened before. But I think it's more than that. I think this is Luke's way of bridging from the works of Jesus Christ to the works of the apostles. The gospel of Luke is the gospel of who Jesus is. It's the good news of Jesus' ministry here on earth. So it makes sense that it would end with Jesus ascending into heaven. The book of Acts is often called the Acts of the Apostles. And it's the story of the apostles beginning the early church and how the church came to be formed and came to spread throughout the region and who the main players were and how the church was formed in different cities, some of the controversies and some of the things they went through. And it makes sense that this would start with the ascension of Christ into heaven. Because at that point, Christ was passing the torch to the apostles. So the ascension bridges us from the gospel, the good news of Jesus' Christ's life, to the works 
of his followers, the works of the apostles, the works of the early church. And in this, we see that even in times of transition, even in times of loss, God's glory is still at work. My favorite part about the ascension is the disciples sit there and watch Jesus rise to the heavens. And then they just stand there. And I imagine I would do the same. Many of you probably would. This is an event like they'd never seen. This man lifted up into the heavens and then gone. And just as he's gone, two men in white appear. And they say, Galileans, what are you doing? Why are you just standing there? And it reminds us of the two men that also appeared in the garden after Christ was resurrected that said, why do you look for Christ among the living? And in a moment, these two men tell the disciples everything. They tell them that, yes, it's important to worship, but that there is work to be done. It's important to look for heaven, but if you stand there just looking towards heaven the whole time, your mission will not be complete. These two men also take away all of our excuses. Because if watching Jesus ascend into heaven isn't a great excuse for not doing anything, then nothing we can come up with can top that. I can't do God's work today. I have to mow the lawn. I can't do God's work today. I've got a ball game. I can't do God's work today. The dishes need to be done. I can't do God's work today because of this. And the two men are there saying, why are you just standing there? There's work to be done. Get to work. The ordination process in the Presbyterian Church is a very long and difficult process. It takes a minimum of three years. For many, it takes longer. And you start off as an inquirer for a year, and during this year, you enter into seminary, you take the Bible content exam, and then you uh, have to meet with your committee after a year, and they uh, discern with you if you are called to ministry, and you become a candidate for a year. During your candidacy stage, you often have to get a a psych evaluation to make sure that you're not just completely insane, to make sure you don't have any big red flags that's going to do harm to the church if you were to serve as a pastor. You have to take four more exams that are very arduous, uh, very difficult. Uh, One is a week long. The other three are three hours testing your theology, your polity, uh, just uh, your knowledge of worship and the sacraments. And at the end of that year, you could become a candidate for, uh, to seek a call. You can, you're free to look for a church to serve if you've graduated seminary. If they approve of your classwork, you have to preach before them. You have to be questioned. They have to ask you whatever they want. And then they vote and approve you. And I'll never forget going through all these stages and finally being certified, ready to seek a call, being told, Chris, you are prepared for ministry. Go out there and find a church. And I went home and did nothing. And the next day, I did nothing. And they said, you've got your PIF, your personal information form together. Send it out to churches. Find that place where God is calling you to serve. And I continued to do nothing. 
that's not true. I went home immediately and started looking up all the available churches and looking at them and seeing where I thought God might be calling me might be a good fit because I knew I had a job to do. It wouldn't have made sense for me to go home and just sit there and do nothing. When I'd been given this mission, this ministry, I'd been given work to fulfill. Think of Noah. Noah was told by God to build an ark. That the rains were coming, that God was going to flood out all of humanity. And that Noah was to ensure the survival of humanity by gathering his family and two of every animal. And what if Noah just stood there looking towards the heavens? God, you're talking to me? Where is that voice coming from? What if God didn't have that voice, or what if Noah didn't have that voice inside of him saying, Noah, get to work. Why are you just standing there? The ark wouldn't have been done, and, and the humanity and the animals wouldn't have survived. When we are given a job, a task, a mission, a ministry, we are to jump to it. We are to start working on it. We aren't to just stand there looking towards the heavens. When we have a calling, we need to live into that calling. Today we are celebrating Mother's Day. And Mother's Day comes, uh, began in the 1850s with Anna Reeves Jarvis. Her daughter, Anna Jarvis, wanted to honor her mother's work. And Anna Reeves Jarvis, in the 1850s, started Mother's Work Day clubs. And these clubs were tasked with providing medicine to the poor, for inspecting milk for children, to providing nursing skills to the, the ill, to providing shelters for children with tuberculosis. And she made this her calling and her passion. And as these clubs grew and built and spread, something terrible happened. The states declared war on each other. And our country was plunged into civil war. And Anna Jarvis saw brother fighting sister, neighbor fighting neighbor, people at war with each other. And she got the clubs together. And she said, no matter what, we are called to something greater. Let's not let this get in the way of our friendship, of our ministry, of our work. And they vowed to rise above the conflict. And these clubs came together and they nursed soldiers from both sides of the conflict. They nursed soldiers from the north and the South. And Anna Jarvis wanted to honor this work. So she created Mother's Day honoring the work of her mothers and the work of those Mothers' Work Day clubs. Mother's Day didn't start just honoring the person who gave birth to us, but those who had a mission and saw to it and worked to implement it. Anna Reeves Jarvis knew there was a job to do, so she did it. Why are you just standing there looking towards the heavens? The disciples were dumbfounded. Jesus Christ, who had been their leader, was lifted up into the heavens. And the torch had been passed from Christ 
to the apostles, to the church, to the body of Christ. And we are the body of Christ. We are the eyes and ears of Christ. We are the mouth of Christ speaking of God's love and grace and God's gospel truth. We are Christ's healing hands reaching out to the world. We are Christ's feet walking forward into this world sharing God's love. We are Christ's heart. We are Christ's voice. And we assume Christ's mission. We assume Christ's ministry. So people of the United Parish of Bowie, why are you just sitting there? Why do you just look towards the heaven? There is work to be done and it is on us to do it. Amen.